0: allow me to reintroduce myself i'm an event design consultant and executive zoom producer with a passion for creating engaging and unforgettable experiences with two decades of experience in the meetings and events industry i've honed my skills in designing and executing events that leave a lasting impression i have published three books to share my expertise collectively they've received over 600 amazon reviews and reached number one bestseller in 29 paid categories in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia. Break Out of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Event, my latest book, has received widespread acclaim. I'm thrilled to help presenters and facilitators bring energy and excitement to their virtual events, and I'm constantly seeking new ways to innovate and improve. The book and bonus content are available at breakoutofboredom.com. There's a special launch price of just $2.99 US for the ebook, and that's going to go up to $10 US at the end of March. The paperback is also available. I am passionate about sharing my knowledge and experience with others, and I regularly speak at industry events and offer consulting services to help organizations and speakers achieve success in their own virtual or in-person events. If you're looking for creative solutions and expert guidance for your next event, I would be honored to work with you. Let's make your event one to remember. Reach out to Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Now on to this week's interview. Today's guest wants to journey to success without compromise. She's an ambitious woman with big goals and the unrelenting grit that has turned them into reality. She's a two time Inc. 500 winner, 18 times two comma club winner and a retired $100 million entrepreneur. She's had to fight through the male dominated business world and gain an education in finance and business. She's experienced the highest highs of entrepreneurship and the most dangerous lows, including the stress and anxiety resulting from the destructive hustle culture. She learned the hard way that every decision can change the path of her life and business, and that success at the cost of her health and well being is not true success. After hitting rock bottom, she discovered a better way to build businesses that prioritize the well being and impact of women. Through her company, Financially Fearless Women, she now helps others to build a life and business that surpasses their dreams without sacrificing their health and well being. Welcome, Jocelyn Hayward.
1: Hi. Wow. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Jocelyn, thanks for joining us from your place in Utah. Thrilled to have you. As you know, it's a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: That's a big question, isn't it? Defining leadership. Um, For me, leadership is responsibility. There is a responsibility that comes with choosing to lead. Uh, I take it very seriously. I took it very seriously running my companies that people chose and trusted me as a leader. And so when I think of leadership, I think of the responsibility that leadership is. Yeah,
0: I really appreciate that.
1: The gift it is for someone to say, I will follow you. I choose you as my leader. Like. That's, that, that's a real act of um, trust and feedback from anybody who chooses to follow me. I
0: appreciate it. I also love that I get to ask this question all this time and I feel like that's a slightly nuanced way of answering it that I haven't heard before. But I really, I agree that as people agree to take action and follow you in a certain direction, um, that they're, they're imbuing in you that trust uh, that you've given them that you're hopefully creating together. When did you start to realize you had some skills in this area?
1: <laughs> well, my nickname as a child was Bossy Jossy. So I'm pretty sure I was born this way. <laughs> um, but at, I was 10 and um, I I have this memory. I'm 10 years old and I'm coming around the corner of my um, parents' duplex and it's summertime And we're walking through the side gate on the side of my house, and it's me and um, my, my little best friend and her older sister and her older sister's friend, who's also older. And I had kind of just this, like, train of kids, which the part that sticks out about that to me is that it was the older kids in the neighborhood who were following me. And that's the first memory I have of really being like, oh, like, I'm in charge, you know, like I'm deciding what we do. Look at these people following me. And that it's just such a vivid, like I can see the, all the color so vividly in that memory, the the green grass and the sunshine and the, you know, and the nineties kid clothes. And it's just like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't recall choosing to be that way. I just always ended up in charge even as a child. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you've always been who you are. I'm picturing like the ducklings all lined up following the mama duck and that's you yeah. in the front, the yeah. 10 years old you who everyone follow. Also the term bossy is so used against little girls, but it is an indicator of some real good leadership qualities like being yeah. outspoken, having an opinion, things that, you know, you would want women to have. So why is it a negative when it's little yeah. girls, but yeah. you know, you're, you're sort of put in your place, right? Like little oh. boys would never have had, that thrown at them but you used it to your advantage you had these adults or slightly older i should say slightly older children um you you had a plan and they were like all right let's let's go do your plan that's that's really cool that you like did that show up also like in the playground did you run for office as a kid did you like did you seek out formal leadership roles or was this more like peer-to-peer ways of showing leadership
1: um, I did not seek out formal um, – I, I didn't get into, like, any student council things. What I did, actually, was I moved into um, – in high school, um, I ran the uh, newspaper and the yearbook. Like, you, you, that was something that you weren't – you weren't supposed to be editor-in-chief of those things until you were a senior, right? It was kind of this, like, pecking order, and you have to have been in the in the club for so long and whatever – and I, I didn't have that. I hopped in and within, you know, the first half of the school year as a, gosh, what is a sophomore? Yeah, I must have been a sophomore. I was a co-editor-in-chief already. And at the time, I didn't know that that was, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any different. And so I didn't know that that was a big deal until I got into the next year and was like, oh, there's like a seniority to this and I skipped that step. And I feel like that theme actually, I p- could probably actually tie that theme through my entire life of being like, oh, at this you know age or stage, you shouldn't be in this leadership role. And I tended to just skip through steps. Like I was really glad when I hit my 30s, because <laughs> then I could tell people when they're like, how old are you? I could be like, Oh, I'm in my thirties. And they, and they'd be like, Oh, okay. Cause when I told them I was in my twenties, it was always like, Oh my gosh, you're such a baby. I can't believe you've done so much so young. And I just was kind of getting tired of that response uh, a little, a little bit like the bossy name.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Name
1: yeah. Tag to it, you know? Yeah.
0: Now, do you feel like you at the time in, in high school, uh, like when you're in high school, you didn't know the pecking order or the seniority that was ne- like sort of set in culturally, do you feel like that naive, naive sort of naivete about the processes and systems allowed you even later in life to sort of jump ahead yeah. because you were just like, I have an idea. I'm going to put it forward. Oh, other people like it too. Let's just do it. You know, like you didn't wait for your turn to get the microphone or be at the front of the table or something like that. Did that continue to support you?
1: Yes. Yeah, it did. It was... um it was, I just jumped into doing the thing. If there's a, a need, I just filled it, right? I just jumped in. And it was, it was because I learned, I learned over time that it was because I was willing to pick a direction and walk. It didn't really even matter so much if it was like, you know, the right direction or the perfect direction. I was just willing to try things and be like, I don't know, let's try this. I don't know, let's go this way. And people were like, oh, okay. And And they were like, I'm in, you know, whatever it is. And, and that, yeah, that really carried through in the business. I, from a leadership perspective, when you ask about, you know, more formal, more formal, you know, office seeking or um, for me, it's always been team. That's what I like about leadership is team. And it's that feeling of picking a direction, being like, I have no, I have no freaking idea if this is going to work and taking off and then having it work and having the team be like yes i can't believe that worked you know and i'm in the front going i can't either actually <laughs> it's like yeah cool that's
0: great cool. i love it when you were 12 13 years old did you have an idea of what you were going to be when you grew up like what the roles you were that you were going to aspire to
1: um i knew i knew on some level that i was i never saw myself um working at a place. You know, I grew up in an entrepreneur family mm-hmm. and my dad's an inventor. And so I always grew up with this idea that I would be my own boss whatever it was. Um but no it it changed a lot over time. It kind of went from like interest, you know, I was like I'm going to be a marine biologist and then I'm going to be a journalist and then I'm going to be and no, it morphed a lot. And then I think landing in being a business owner was probably the perfect um, crossroads of all of those things because then I got really the payoffs that I wanted out of each uh, uh, you know, thing I had thought about, um, but in a way that I also could make money <laughs> and support my family and stuff. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to do, but I it wasn't going to pay very well.
0: <laughs> well, it's really cool to grow up in an entrepreneurial family. Um, I rather really don't give my dad enough credit, but when I was uh, about eight, he um, started a, a flea market booth mm-hmm. and he ran it for six years. By the time I was 10, I was getting paid a whopping $10 a day.
1: That was a um, lot back then. <laughs>
0: well, you have no bills, right? <laughs> um, by the time I was 14, when he was wrapping it up, I was getting paid $4 an hour and yeah. then, um, everyone else was like six to 15 years older than me who worked there. My mm-hmm. sister was six years old and everyone else was like much older than her. And they, um, they were all being paying $5 an hour and the manager, um, disagreed with my dad. My dad didn't want to pay me the extra dollar, but she thought I hustled and like worked so hard yeah. that my last year she started paying me $5 an hour, <laughs> um, because that was really, I mean, I was just so like funny.
1: sliding it to She's you. Out out day.
0: Yeah. But like, I guess seeing that, I mean, it wasn't like it was this full-time role, but like, it was very entrepreneurial and and I, um, I didn't, I was very entrepreneurial as a kid. Like I had a lot of like jobs and businesses that I sort of built and created, but I love that you had that sort of in your house that you had your dad sort of showing you the way, but being a business owner, like in itself wasn't a destination. Did you have an idea of what your business would be about? Like, or, and no, okay. You just knew you knew that no. you weren't going to have a job. Did you? No. Um, did you head off to college, or did you like go right into building this business?
1: I went right. I went right into business. I actually. So I actually did end up because of the what I referenced in high school of you know getting into journalism, being the journalism department. Um, I did end up getting a scholarship for journalism to a college. I was at the college for uh, about four days in my dorm, getting ready for classes and whatnot, and was like nope this is not it and I remember I called my dad I was sitting in my car I was sitting in my car outside of a after a job interview and I called my dad and was like bawling my eyes out I was like so unhappy could tell that this was just not what I wanted you know and I called him and was like dad I just want to come home like this is not I don't I hate this like and he was just like okay like come home and my mom in the background is you know like she better not come home <laughs> and my dad was like come home it's if it's if you're not happy come home and I will be forever grateful that he gave me that kind of permission because then I did I came home and I started into doing businesses and that has been an amazing journey and it was just I I, I liked. What I liked about the journalism aspect was the team, was the having a team to pull it together to hit a deadline. That's what I liked. It wasn't necessarily that I had this great passion for reporting, you know? And then I got to do that when I did businesses because business is all pulling a team together to hit a deadline, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's essence. That's true. What were your early businesses that you created?
1: Um, well, let's see. So the earliest one I did was a... Uh, was actually with my fiance at the time. Um, We started selling performance car parts on the internet. And I had taught myself, um, because of my entrepreneurial family, so the environment I grew up in was um, manufacturing. My family did plastics manufacturing. And this is small business in the 90s, you know? And this is when websites had started to become a thing. So I had actually taught myself to help with the family business how to build websites how to do photoshop and i'm I'm pretty sure back then it was like only photoshop was like the only product i think adobe had um and i taught myself how to do it so that i could start getting our little small business as a family up on the internet you know learned html and all that stuff and so i kind of had this sort of background in the internet already as i headed into this startup idea Um, and, and the guy I was with, he was a a real, he was a gearhead, And so he had the expertise of, you know, what car parts go to what car. And I was like, well, I've got the expertise to get us onto the internet. And so that, that was actually like the really first one other than, you know, helping my dad and all of our neighbors get their small businesses up on the internet, which was totally a thing at 14, speaking of like getting paid. Good, good money you know um and that was the first one and it was it was that was my introduction to to being able to sell on the internet and the power of not having to do brick and mortar um, but I screwed up in that first one because we were on the internet selling doing really well and then the idea was well if we can sell these parts to these people, maybe we can install it on their cars, which are two wildly different business models. Now that's a now that is a brick and mortar service-based model from an online retail model. And it went badly. <laughs> it did it did not work. We tried to do too many things at once that really weren't even something that was a passion for either of us. So that company like went under and I learned a lot yeah learned a, lot, a lot, lot of
0: lessons I imagine
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: what year is this around what time frame in the in the 90 s
1: so that was actually when when the when the first company closed that was actually two thousand eleven and I think there's a little bit of a contributing factor there for um for the status of the economy at that mm-hmm. time right because it was right after the big um crash and I think that that probably caught up to us eventually, and yeah, was a main factor. But really, how long did
0: that was, business run? Then that seems like uh, it.
1: let's see, uh, three three years.
0: Yeah. So so, but but you got to learn a lot. I mean, you you sort of learned. It's interesting that you didn't end up just selling, um, helping people get their websites up and running. I've met a few people oh, no. who who like fell into that as a skill set around yeah. the nineties, and then. Yeah. You know, suddenly that became that was like the beginning of their their trajectory. I mean, yeah. did a little bit as a kid. Yeah. So, so that so that business kind of goes bust because you you over you got over your skis essentially with what yeah. you are trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, not that I ski, but that is the visual in my head.
1: <laughs> I but, see. Uh,
0: so so yeah. what what next? I mean, you're clearly bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. You've got the skill set to take things um online. Online is becoming more and more popular by that time frame. Yes. Where did you next?
1: Yeah, so at that time, what what was in the you know online business space was eBay. Um, Amazon wasn't a thing yet.
0: Um, that's hard to believe. That's and like,
1: I, oh, and when I tell people, that's this, like
0: a really hard to imagine. I mean, it's not that many years back. I mean, we're only talking no. twelve years, but
1: yeah, yeah, it was like like nobody had heard of Amazon. That wasn't a thing. Yeah, not really a big a, deal. It was like eBay, and Craigslist, really. Um, yeah. I and what happened was, um, I started selling decals on eBay. One of the leftover pieces from that business that had closed was one of those little um, machines—not not the not the Cricut, which is what a lot of like women at home use for scrapbooking. It was like a, a full-blown plotter, is what it's called, and it would cut vinyl. And we, of course, had this. Speaking of getting over your skis, we had this great idea like, yeah, we're going to cut our own stickers here and put it on every car that we have come through the shop and thought it was this big money saver. It wasn't. Um, But what ended up happening was it was like, well, we have this equipment and we have this debt now. And I was doing I had moved back to picking up just freelance web design work again um, and small business branding on the Internet because I had that skill set to fall back on. And we're like, well, you know, let's just, let's try selling this. Let's try selling these decals on the internet. And sure enough, started listing things on eBay. Just stickers, literally just stickers. Like you remember um, when uh, stick figure families were a big thing on the back of cars and there was like the Disney family one. And the like that. So that was us. That was like the trend that my this my business started to ride on. And what I actually learned here was the power of identifying how my consumer identified. I figured out in that that if I could sell that if a woman bought from me, you know, four paw print stickers, that she would probably also buy a dog mom shirt. And a dog mom hat and collars and pet products. And, and that was really this, the beginning of what became the nine-figure business later. Um, but I took a, kind of a weird turn in that time frame. The sticker business was up and running and we got onto Amazon and we were selling decals on Amazon. And I was a top holiday Amazon seller and got like, like that used to be a thing. Um <laughs> It is <laughs> so long ago. Um, and then I got asked to come and help with another startup. And it was an in international trade. It was an import-export. And the kind of, you know, the sticker business was kind of doing its thing, but it was sort of plateaued. And I was young and wasn't really sure, you know, do I want to do this full-time or do I want to go back to web stuff? Needed some cash because it was still a startup, but I still had debt. Um, and I got recruited into helping this other startup do import mm. and loved it because again, it was tied back into not the thing that I was doing, but that it was a team I got to lead and pull together. So business has always come back to this team, hitting a deadline, pulling off a plan that on some level shouldn't have worked and like, you know, doing the impossible And doing a startup, deciding to get into international trade, like what, (laughs) what, and it was fun. It was so dang fun to pull a team together and have them be like, so what do we do? And explaining it to them, they're like, okay. And it was back again to the leadership thing, right?
0: (laughs) So is this, this is like 2014 timeframe-ish?
1: Yeah, let's see. So, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually right on. Yep, twenty fourteen. Um, I think that's actually exactly the year. Yeah, twenty fourteen started doing this. Um, it was called glo- it's called global supply chain management, is what it's called. Yeah, and that's,
0: I mean that's a concept. Is that also the name of the company?
1: Um, no, let's see. It was a uh, uh, product sourcing direct international was the name of the company. Uh,
0: but it was basically the idea. Like, I mean, that's a whole thing. Yeah, logistics. Like there's a whole field getting merch from one place to another, which we clearly as a public only became aware of when it didn't get where it needed to be during the pandemic. (laughs) And suddenly we're like, what do you mean there's ships with my stuff on it off the coast of California? (laughs) Why aren't, why isn't it in my house?
1: What do you mean? Black Fridays might not happen because they don't have the inventory that I'm expecting.
0: Yeah. So all that stuff behind the scenes that usually happens pretty seamlessly with a few hiccups. Yep. Uh, you were sort of learning the international piece of that, yeah, which is a really interesting skill set to have yeah. combined with your virtual, like online sort of access. Learning how to connect the dots that way, yeah. But you still I, have the sticker thing, and I wanted to yeah. underscore what you mentioned earlier: is that you uh, you started to understand um, avatars. I mean, you didn't have maybe that word for it, but the idea of a dog mom, the idea yep. that someone had bought four or four. Poor Prince was also going to buy like all the dog mom gear and the h- collars and all of that and like tracking a person that way, which now we have all these fancy ways of doing that with pixels and whatever, but, um, and, and retargeting and uh, stuff yep. like, way down my yeah. pay grade, but, um, you were sort of figuring that out early on and realizing the marketing you could do would be way more nuanced and you could get repeat business from one person rather than attracting new people all the time, exactly. which is a huge cost savings to, to do that. But then you end up sort of sidetracked. Now, we did mention, and you just mentioned again, I mentioned in the intro, you know, if people want to do the math on, on we, we, we talked about the nine figure. I, if you really pause, like my assistant was writing up your intro and she had to do the math in her head. She was like, wait, nine, nine figure. Wait, yeah. nine figure. That's, yeah. wait. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, yes. do you need to write that out? So yes. that's a hundred million dollar business. Yeah. You were yeah. starting us out talking about stickers. So yeah. I really, I mean, this is all not that long ago. And I know that in a way it became an, an unhealthy route. So we're not actually telling everyone to do what we are you're about to describe. No. We'll also talk about the ramifications of doing some of this. But yeah. how do you ramp that up? Like how does like what you're learning in 2011, 2014 timeframe and we're only in 2023 right now, and you've already had the revelation that that's not where you want to be. So this all happened in a really short amount of time relative to your lifespan. Yeah. I'm so curious.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the part where we get into, um, into the unhealthy parts of, of letting the businesses run you instead of running the businesses. Right. Um, So there's this, I've got this, side hustle going it's running it's selling some some promo product on the internet it's on amazon it's on ebay it's doing its thing and then i'm doing this international trade startup and um what really came through in the international trade was remember that year of the hoverboard the Mm -hmm. big trend year that was us we saw that trend coming and I locked down the largest supplier in China of the hoverboard that, that was the largest supplier that was actually, um, you know, uh, someone I trusted to do business with um, someone who had safety standards and had bank backing and all that type of stuff, because it's the hoverboards turned into this. um, Once the government started paying attention to, these bad products that were coming on to the, onto the market that were, um, you know, lighting on fire and stuff like that. I, I knew, we knew exactly where, what factories those products had come from because they were factories that did not have safety standards. Mm. Um, but as soon as that started to happen with that hoverboard trend, that was when we were like, okay, we're going to get out of this. We're going to get out of this market. Cause it's about to get really messy in here with government regulation. And um, God God bless that we did. I'm so glad that we did. It really saved us um, because a lot of our competitors ended up with millions of dollars in inventory of hoverboards that they couldn't do anything with, right? So um, I have this, this side hustle running, and then I go and I learn how to source product and bring it in internationally, right? I get into sourcing. I get into logistics. I get into warehousing. And I didn't know at the time, um, at this time I also had um, my two, I have two children, so I also became a mother to two in this time frame. And I didn't know at the time, but these two things, when they merged back together, I ended up leaving the International Trade Company and coming back to do this, this sticker business that had become more of an online retailer business. That the skill set I had picked up learning how to bring in product was going to be exactly the thing that we needed for this. So when I came back to putting my full attention into this eBay Amazon business, it was like, oh, well, now I know how to get more product, bigger product, you know, at lower cost, at all all of these, all, all these things that are required in your cost of goods, right? And we started Getting things in bulk and getting the margins down, getting better at managing our avatars. Um, my skill set of leading teams and pulling teams together became in very handy. And the business started to double in revenue and double and double and double. And that was how we got to 100 million essentially. Um, what happened as you talk about how nobody had any transparency into how their product gets on their doorstep with Amazon, right? Is I was in the thick of um, supply chain when the pandemic hit the thick of it. I had 500 containers of product on the water and we had been watching. I had, I had a team in China. I had, you know, I had employees over there and we had been watching this pandemic thing happen in China going kind of eyeing it, you know what? Like, okay is this uh is this an asia thing how bad is this and it came right at the time frame of when everybody is placing their orders for the holiday season so a lot of retail businesses they will do a huge percentage for us it was 25% of our annual revenue was done between black friday and you know 5 days before christmas 25% of that year's revenue but to get your product in, you have to order it like at the beginning of the summer so that you have it here in time, place your orders, get it produced, get it on the water. And if you're doing any product testing, you got to do that before you double down on ordering more product. So it was this gamble of like, okay, uh, not sure how much this is or isn't and pulled the trigger. And then sure enough, I just watched carrier. Uh, when I say carrier, I'm talking like steamship lines, carrier after carrier after carrier just start missing deadlines all over the place and have wow. product stuck everywhere covid rolls through the us and i have millions and millions of dollars in inventory on the water on the rail stuck at port stuck on trucks like it was it was a disaster and that was when things started to get really spirally and unhealthy for me because now I'm doing this I'm raising children who are having their lives disrupted I am running a company that at this point is a multi-million dollar company has multiple satellite offices I'm running a very large team I've hired executives at this point I've hired the the C suite and it was like every 2 hours I was getting bad news every 2 hours and
0: is this in 2019 that it started to happen though? Like you, like I know that for most of us, we aren't waking up to what's happening. I mean, I think in January, you know. 2020 is when I started hearing about it, but yeah. it was in 2019 that it was happening in China.
1: Yes. Yes. And, so and you were
0: seeing when, that
1: when we were watching it. Yep. Yeah. Through, through the, through the, when you'd already placed your
0: forward. orders earlier that summer in yeah. 2019. So the, you wouldn't have had enough information in summer 2019 no. to make a decision. Correct. Because it, it hadn't sort of left a little area that it was yes. it was impacting china but it wasn't yes. yet worldwide yes correct like six more months seven, Yep. eight more months you yep. know
1: yep it officially the day that it officially hit my daily life was march of 2020 yeah when my kids were told that they were going to school March, and that was when it was like us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Right. And from that moment on, it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. And, and, and you know, every all, we all went through that. But a piece that I had there was I took my position as a business owner who was in charge of a lot of family's livelihood. Very, okay. very seriously in that moment. Very seriously. It kept me up at night because it was this question of how do we keep everyone safe, but how do we keep making money so that everybody can also maintain their income? And I'm really proud of the way that we were able to navigate it and the way that the team was able to adapt to do that, because I actually didn't have to lay anybody off. And that was incredible. And granted, I was in retail. And so being an online retail retailer during COVID was kind of nice because also everybody was at home now and they were all learning how to use these online platforms that I, would o- I was already selling on. Um, that part was awesome. Sales were awesome. Supply was awful.
0: <laughs> and- well, supply and also early on, we didn't know how to keep people safe yep. in warehouses. Yes. Like... There was tons of outbreaks in like meat warehouses, uh, meat uh, districts yeah. all over the country um, where people were just side by side all day. And mm-hmm. so so like even, you know, you have the supply chain issues, but then you have to physically, there are people who have to like box and ship and you yeah. know, there's so much that's online, but there's so much behind the scenes that's actually very much in person. Um, to get the product from wherever it's made to someone's house. Um, So you're, I mean, that's a lot to navigate. What's the scale of the workforce that you had underneath you at that point?
1: Um, At that point in just my warehousing. So just my people who were unloading containers of product and then storing them and packing them and then shipping them back out to our consumers. um, I had um, about 60 employees in, to I, I had a West Coast location, West West Coast warehouse and an East Coast warehouse essentially. Um, and so yeah, it was it was a it was sixty people, sixty bodies.
0: It's also sixty families because you know yes. that their livelihood is helping a family who may not have any other income at this point. Yeah. Given everyone's jobs may have disappeared. Yeah. So that's a lot. I mean I can see why it's keeping you up at night. And yet you also know that if you can get product to people, people are suddenly buying online, like in droves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: It was, it was a balance. It was hard. And, and the guidelines changed so much during that time. I mean, it was like a weekly update for employers to be tracking constantly of like, okay, now we can do this and now we can't do that. And now that's bad. And actually that's not, don't worry about that. Um, and I just kept thinking, okay, we're going to do this at the level that my employees feel comfortable, that they feel safe, and um, they, you know, if they if they were exposed or they um, tested positive or anything, okay, we would we would handle that. We even had a moment. <laughs> we even had a moment where I had one employee in my West in my in my West Coast location who could not find. Toilet paper. Anywhere. He could not find toilet paper. And I went, you know, we order bulk toilet paper for the warehouse. Like, we do. We order it from Uline in massive packages. And so I talked to this employee, and I, and it was one of my managers, and I was like, just take some toilet paper, dude. Just take, like, let me know. And if other people need it as well, let me know. We'll just put it in our next order. Because there was a toilet paper shortage on, like, the retail consumer side but but bulk not not really all of these really large industrial suppliers they didn't really have that problem and so i was able to literally give my employees toilet paper
0: yeah which was <laughs> better than cash in the moment because like yes yeah that was priceless <laughs> yes yes, That's amazing but it got ahead of you like it sounds like a lot of work balancing this all out in yep. in early 2020 going through 2020 yep. you did your best to make these good decisions for you in this business yep but i also know that you're here also to share that you know in some ways you're living this dream i mean not the pandemic part but like up to that point you've yep. done this thing that is really outside the reach of most people's imagination to build yep. something with this global reach and you know infrastructure um, that's, you know, marketing to the right people, getting them the what they want, making everyone really happy along the way. Yep, It's a lot of work. And sometimes you don't know what you have until you get there. Yep. <laughs> now you're there. Yep. And now you're the person who's got all these lives kind of in your hand, meaning yep. you've got to make these great decisions. What toll is it taking on you to have all of that responsibility? Because you said leadership mm. is responsibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, I started to sacrifice my health to try and keep the plates spinning. I was doing, my life was doing 100 miles an hour, and I hit the wall at 100 miles an hour. I was not sleeping. I had horrible insomnia. Um, My self-harming from childhood had reared back up. Um, I'm a scratcher self-harmer. And I started drinking. It was, I, I was, make a joke that it was coffee up, wine down. So I was like pumping the coffee in the morning and then trying to like go into like an alcoholic, like coma to try and get some sleep at night. And it was, my hands were shaky. I was biting my nails. I was gaining weight. My, um, my skin and my hair were just so brittle and um, and it was complete and total self-abandonment trying to keep all of this up and running and and falling on the sword essentially over and over and over. And I had up to that point been a advocate of the the toxic hustle culture messaging of um, nobody cares work harder. And even though I didn't really feel that way about my employees or anything, it's not like they came in and told me something that was going on in life and I was like nobody cares work harder but for myself I basically felt that way it was like yeah everything is burning down and yes you haven't actually slept in months but like whatever we have to survive and I hit the wall i in so a year ago this week actually a year ago from this week was when i hit the wall my, I separated from my husband and I also had to walk away from the business at th- that time. I had already planned on retiring um, and so I had been training up my replacement for the company and stuff like that because I was burned out and I knew I was burned out. Like I was in supply chain during COVID and had survived it. and now the company was kind of getting onto the other side of it. I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. I feel like I haven't seen my kids in two years. And then it all just kind of collapsed at once. My health gave out. I went into a complete psychotic break. I mean, hallucinations, quite literally four days of no sleeping, um, paranoia. I had to start sleeping like with a nightlight because I couldn't be in the dark. It just, bam, all at once. And I hit a point. It was 5 a.m. Sunday morning and I was like I need help this is bad I need help I have two kids that I'm here with and I kept having panic attacks leaving my body the anxiety was so severe that I would leave my body and I'm like I can't do this I can't be leaving my body and be physically here with my children but not mentally here that's really unsafe and that was my moment of being like okay okay like we start over like I got to let all of it go and I got to start over and I got to rebuild now, rebuild myself now because I had given my entire self up during all of this.
0: Yeah. Those two years took a toll on you that you can't even sort of properly calculate because the ramifications are still unfolding. Yeah. But it sounds like, you had all this evidence that it wasn't working well, even though you were trying so hard to hold it together. But two years into the pandemic, you got through the worst of the issues that were happening in your business. But it was time for you to focus on you and your family and like build from your builds from yourself up. Now, I'm hoping that at this point in the story, the millions of dollars that were flowing through the business, some of them en- ended up in your bank account. So that you're not like starting at zero in yep. debt, which is where you were earlier in the story when yep. the business like got ahead of you. Yeah. Um, so you're able to make very different decisions now about yep. how you like move forward a year later, you know, for your life um, yep. and take care of your kids, and, and so you're not desperate to make the next buck. You're be- You're more like, how do I heal myself? You yes. have some resources, and you're still young. You're still, you know, what I mean. Like you're mm-hmm. still at a point in your life where there's so many more things to do. Yep. But how do you reframe your identity? I mean, like you have been so invested in this sort of tight amount of time, um, in this business and this way of thinking about who you are. And like you said, they're like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, like hustle culture that you've sort of fallen into. How do you come back from that and find a new way to identify yourself? If it's not tied to your work, well, then who are you? I mean, yes, you're a mother but you're not even doing that great. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So you're like, how do you, I, this is actually a thing that a lot of men find. Yeah. They're like laid off and their fifties. They're at high suicide risk because yep. they don't have an identity outside of this. So how do you shift your own sense of self? I guess.
1: Yeah. The first thing for me was getting real about how unhealthy I was really really listening to my body and paying attention to what what was going on because in the moment that I was I had been just surviving every day what had also happened was my body had quit craving alcohol i had quit self-harming i only wanted good nutrition and i was still working on this this sleep piece right but a lot of those other things I had been doing to help me cope with the stress and anxiety, they started to go away. And that became a very important part of healing myself and rebuilding myself was I just had to listen to my body because a lot of the choices I had to make next were contrary to the belief system that I had had before, like taking time to just be still to just you know and i say just because that's how i saw it to just journal to just meditate to just see a therapist to just get sunshine and that moment of choosing of of choosing to rebuild me and ask for help because i wasn't a girl that asked for help before ever right i had all the answers that was absolutely necessary right there to realize like, I am very unsafe for my kids and I am very unhealthy. This is really bad. Things are bad, 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 and not minimize it.
0: So a year later from that sort of critical moment, yep. how, are you, how are you doing now? Huh.
1: How, do I, how, do I, how do I answer that question? Because just to say great is not even enough. Um, mm-hmm. My life is so peaceful. It is so simple. It is um, in alignment with who I want to be when I am 75, 85. Um, the trajectory I was on before, I, the first time I went and sat down with um, a psychiatrist, I went in and I sat down with a super nice lady, so, so nice. And I started just word vomiting to her, everything that had happened. And as I told her everything that had been happening, I kind of paused and said, it wasn't if I ended up here, it was when, wasn't it? And she just like just kind of smiled, nodded, kind of like you just did, like, yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, all right. And I got myself, I got into therapy. Um, at one point... I was seeing a psychologist and a psychiatrist and then like a family therapist because I had my kids that I was trying to work through this with as well. And because I had made the money that you talked about that did make it into my bank account, did make it into passive income, I had the ability to take time off and pay for these services and that's not something a lot of people get to do when their life burns down because it burns down in a way that they are living paycheck to paycheck day to day. Um, so I did invest my money, which ended up helping me invest in myself. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah. it was a long journey of stillness. The last year has been a lot of stillness and a lot of... Um, listening to my body and not letting the anxiety take back over.
0: That phrase you just said, long journey of stillness, is such an interesting phrase. Like the the visual that I had for it of, of, I mean, because it is so much work. It is is work to do what you just described. And that also where you said just in front of everything. Yep. Right. That idea that you have to be like on, you know, six phone calls while writing your book, while you yep. know, like bathing your kids, like you have to like be doing all the things at once, all the plates in action. And the idea of just doing one thing is like a just experience, yep. um, but it feels like it was it was how you built your way back up. And um, I have like two qu- quick questions I want to ask you as we wrap up here. One is, you just know a lot of people, so I'm I'm just gonna jump ahead to this idea that you've built an incredible network. Yeah. Um. You've done a lot of really interesting things in your short life. Yeah. So how do you stay in touch? Like, you know, you're going to stay in touch with those sort of closest people in your life. But, you know, there's those people you see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago. You like each other. You just don't really have a reason to see each other all the time. Do you have any habits, philosophies or practices that help you stay connected with that larger network?
1: I would say the first thing is choosing vulnerability and transparency with those people. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't get to see them often, but when I do see them, it's deep. And I believe that the depth of an interaction determines the length of a relationship. Um, And the way I stay in contact with them, um, a lot of social media. I really love getting to see each other's updates. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I get a lot of phone calls now that I'm thinking about this. I get a lot of phone calls just out of the blue. Someone's like, hey, I saw XYZ thing. Remember that time that we blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, you know.
0: I feel like people have forgotten that the phone is like an actual medium that they can use. Like we walk around with these devices in our pocket. And I always joke like that we've forgotten that (laughs) their phone call like mechanisms, they can make a phone call. Like, yeah. We'll yeah. send
1: 200 text messages to work out some details instead of taking like a two minute phone call.
0: I have a rule and my <laughs> wife knows this, that it's, I have a three text limit. So <laughs> if I send a text, someone replies to me, I write to them and they go to write me another one. I'm yep. calling. Yeah. Like that was it. Like that's, that's we're so clearly <laughs> not communicating enough or we're not clear. We're, we're not clearly communicating. <laughs> that's yep. probably more the point. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I always, <laughs> we're in the car together and she starts going back and forth and I like, call them. Just like, okay, fine. <laughs> okay, so final question a year from now, we're going to meet and it'll now have been two years since this momentous uh, moment to shift things in your life. You had another year of living a healthy life and being your best self. Yeah. I want to know when I meet with you then, and I say, what have you been up to? I want to know what I'm going to be congratulating you for. Like, what are those big things you're looking forward to the most in the year ahead?
1: I am looking forward to keeping my commitments to myself about my health. That's the danger right now is now as things settle back down and I get back into routines that I'm going to jump back into hustling all the time Um, and helping other women who have their own momentous life moments who now have to get really clear on their relationship with their finances Mm -hmm. and being able to teach them and give them my experience. I have a lot of experience in that arena and a lot of women don't. It's not naturally something you want to talk about, like bossy being used against me as a child. There's a lot of things that women are not taught. And one of those is their financial relationship. And I can start every conversation with, what's your relationship like with money? And they're like, what relationship? It's like, yeah, let's start there. And I attribute it to like when people get into personal, they get a personal trainer and they get into fitness. Well, now we're just looking at your relationship with yourself through the lens of your relationship with your body, with your physical self. All I do is same concept, but we're going to look at it through your relationship with money. That is how I plan on making everything that I have been through be a guidebook for other people. It's my survival story, but it can be their their guide story.
0: That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to celebrate all that with you when we do that conversation. You're someone I definitely wanna stay in touch with. How can people find you and follow your work?
1: Okay, Um, so you will find me on the internet as Bossy Jossy, that is my handle everywhere. <laughs> and um, and at my website, financiallyfearlesswomen.com.
0: We will put all those links in the show notes at ontheshmooz.com. Bossy Jossy, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. This has been fun.
0: <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jocelyn. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 326. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week with interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about that journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week.